You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we're in the seventh Beatitudes, seventh Beatitude in this sermon series called The Pursuit of Happiness. And it's been, a, it's been an exciting journey. And so I want to begin with a statement, and that is this. Would you not agree that we live in an age of anxiety? An age of anxiety. More technology, more scientific discoveries, more stress, and less peace. There's a movie that just came out called Oppenheimer. This movie is about a US, how the U.S. built the first atomic bomb that was used in World War II. It was dropped on Japan to end that war. And when Robert Oppenheimer, who supervised the development of the first atomic bomb, when he was asked if there was any defense against this weapon, it took place before the U.S. Congress. And Mr. Oppenheimer was asked that question by one of the congressmen. He stood and said, Mr. Oppenheimer, be honest, is there any defense against this weapon? And Mr. Oppenheimer answered, certainly. Yes, there is. And the U.S. congressman then asked, well, then what would that be? A hush came over the crowd in Congress like a hush came over this crowd. And Mr. Oppenheimer answered in one word, peace. Peace. Throughout history, the history of the world, there have been peace treaties, peace accords, peacekeeping forces. There have been peace marches. And yet, as you can tell, there is no peace. You see, when you have peacekeepers, they only keep the peace as long as they have the biggest guns or the biggest bombs, right? In fact, there was a Colt single-action revolver designed in 1872 called, and I have a picture of it on the screen, the Peacemaker. That's what it was called. It was adopted as the standard-issued pistol of the U.S. Army from 1873 to 1892. But what's interesting is this. In this seventh beatitude, in the pursuit of happiness, Jesus is not talking about being a peacekeeper. Jesus is telling us to be a peacemaker. And the problem of human strife is as old as man is old. It had its beginning in the book of Genesis when Cain was driven by envy to murder his brother Abel. People fought then and people fight now. In fact, I have a picture on the screen of the seven current conflict zones in our world today. Wars that are taking place as we sit in this auditorium in air condition, thinking about the pot roast or the cracker barrel or the, can I get an amen? All right, all right. And uh, as we're thinking about that, and by the way, thank God for the freedom that we now enjoy, but there is conflict in Ukraine, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Nigeria, and the Republic of Congo. Congo. Internal strife going on throughout the world in different nations. There's conflict going on between generations. There's racial conflict in our world today. There's conflict within religions and denominations. There is political conflict between the different parties. Here's the bottom line. We live in a world full of chaos, conflict, trouble, 
shattered dreams, broken relationships. But the Bible says that God is peace. In Romans chapter 15, verse 33, it says, May the God of peace be with you all. Oftentimes, we refer to the God of peace as we exit the building at the end of a service. May the God of peace be with you all. In Romans 13, 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, he is the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Only God is the source of peace, and peace resides in God as an essential part of his nature. It is who God is. Jesus said he's the source of real peace. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I have these things to say to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. The peace of Jesus Christ, he gives it, but it's not the peace that the world gives. It's just the opposite. He went on to say in John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There is the peace of God at salvation, which I pray this morning you have experienced, and if you haven't, Today is that day that you can experience peace with God and we'll give you that opportunity before the service is over. But there's also the peace of God that we experience in our service. And the only reason there is presently no peace on earth is because of this. There's a major conflict going on in the world today. God is not at war with the world. Rather, the world is at war with God. Mankind is at war with God. And this has been the problem since Adam and Eve sinned. And that's why peacemakers are so desperately needed. Peacemakers in this building to go into their homes and into their workplace and into the church and into their small groups and into the different places that we live and and have our being that, that we would desire to be peacemakers. So Jesus steps into a world of strife. And here's what he says in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus says, you are just like your heavenly father when you are a peacemaker. God is the source of peace. God is the true peacemaker. So when you are a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers, happy are the peacemakers, for when they make peace, they are just like their dad, their father. They show themselves to be his child. When you seek peace in the workplace, when you seek peace in your community, when you take time to seek peace in your home or in the whole world, you're being just like your father. And what a blessing it is to see people who are reconciled by your actions and your effort as a peacemaker. And I guarantee you, it does make you happy. It really works. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 and 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. We'll come back to that word reconcile at the end. But then it says this, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood, we'll remember that blood shed on the cross for us because it's by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that sinners can make peace with God. 
Jesus satisfied the justice of God by bearing our sins on the cross in his own body. He paid the price so we could have peace. Because you can't have peace until you know the God of peace through the peacemaker, Jesus. He is the peacemaker. God is a peacemaker. And if God is a peacemaker, then his children will be too. God has put a high priority on peacemaking. So I'd like to continue to give you three thoughts from this verse that we've been kind of using every single time, changing the words just a little bit. So the first thing I want to do as we attempt to understand how to be a a peacemaker, God's peacemaker, is this. I want to give you three ways to understand it. First of all, let's point out the misconceptions of peacemaking. Because you know what? Peacemaking sometimes is misunderstood. I think there are three main misconceptions of peacemaking, so listen closely. Number one, peacemaking is not, I repeat, not avoiding the issue. Some wrongly think that I'm a peacemaker just because I avoid controversy or conflict. I just dodge the issue. I just don't rock the boat. I keep, keep everything under the rug. I just grin and bear it. It's hard, but mm, I want to say something, but I just don't because I'm trying to keep the peace. Some think if we just avoid the issue, we have peace. But don't miss this. Peace is not a truce. That's only an evasion of the issue. It's like a lot of marriage counseling that I do, and oftentimes I'll hear one of the other say, I just keep my mouth shut. It's just better that way. When I keep my mouth shut, you know, it just avoids the fight because as soon as I open my mouth, I know there's going to be big shouting match. But yet running and withdrawing from the problem and pretending it doesn't exist is not peacemaking. Peacemaking comes from facing, not fleeing the issue. Number two, another misconception of peacemaking is this. Peacemaking is not appeasing the person or the situation. What does that mean? Well, appeasing means I just always give in, you know? I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's peace at any price. Appeasing a situation is just giving in, and that's not peacemaking. You'll find in Scripture that Jesus never ran from a legitimate issue, a legitimate problem. He never turned and ran. He faced it. Thirdly, peacemaking is not the absence of fighting. You find oftentimes that when it comes to peacemaking that most will say, well, peace means there's no strife, right? Peace means there's no conflict. Peace means there's no animosity. Peace is not the absence of anything. Peace actually is the presence of something. The absence of fights does not necessarily indicate the presence of peace. Sometimes people are just resting between fights. That's what I see happen a lot even in families, in marriages, in churches. It's kind of like those two dogs on a YouTube video. Ever seen some of these YouTube videos that depict what animals do and it reminds us of what we do sometimes? Here's two dogs having a vicious fight with one another. I mean, I mean a battle to the end. I mean, nobody's given up. And these dogs are fighting and then all of a sudden on this little video, they both just at the same time collapse. <laughs> and you can just picture this. Maybe you've got a couple of dogs that play or fight and, and then they just... They just stop, and they lay down. They're tired. They snarl at each other. I think that's a dog word, snarl. And then just a few minutes later, they started fighting again. 
Oh, they stopped, but just to rest. It all started back up as soon as they finished resting. Listen, today I, in, I, I encourage all of us here to understand that peacemaking is actively getting involved. You've got to understand this. It's tackling the issues. It's tackling the problem head on. It's not manipulating. It's not intimidating. It reminds me of the story of a, a, a mom and a dad, a, a parent, a husband and a wife who were having a, an argument, a, a, a fight, and, and their kid, little five-year-old girl, was in the other room. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse and your kid walks in? It's quite embarrassing. Well, this was the fight of all fights. Threats were given that I'm going to leave, and this little five-year-old girl got scared, and she walked into the middle of that fight. She stepped in between her mom and dad. She took dad's hand, and she took mom's hand, and she brought them together. She placed her hand over it. That's a peacemaker. That's a peacemaker. Stepping into the issue. Number two, I want you to understand the meaning of it. Let's pursue that together. What is the meaning of peacemaking? Matthew chapter 5, again in verse number 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus does not say, blessed are the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peaceable, those who never get disturbed by anything. No. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. My version of that might be this. Happy are the people who actively seek to resolve conflict and make peace. Happy are those people. I believe that one of the most important life skills you'll ever learn is how to resolve conflict. I mean, listen, if you are in charge of a group of coaches, I'm going to tell you, Don, you're going to have conflict this year. you got 50 baseball players, and they all think they're the best. Just kidding. <laughs> Coach Mo, you've got a bunch of basketball players. And Coach Ellison, you've got some girls that play on your team. And, and, and I've got a staff that often has conflict. And you have kids that have conflict. Amen. And we have a church that has conflict. We're people. We're human. Strife exists. But when we learn to the, the skill of, 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 of tackling those things and of handling conflict and resolving conflict, how many of this building would, would say, I just love conflict? I didn't think anybody would, but how many just hate it and you're okay with raising your hand? I hate conflict. I think that's most of us right. It's me too. But to be a peacemaker, you need to know how to resolve it. Because that's what peacemaking is. Let me show you three names on a screen, and then I want to ask you this question. What do they have in common? What does Elijah Parrish Lovejoy have in common with Franz Ferdinand Carl Ludwig Joseph Marie. That's child abuse right there. But that's their name. Google it. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. But that's their name. And then Edith Cavell. What do these three people have in common? I'm going to read a short bio of them, and then I'm going to tell you, if you didn't, don't figure it out yourself, what they all have in common. We're trying to find out the meaning of peacemaking. Elijah Parrish Lovejoy was an American Presbyterian minister, journalist, newspaper editor, and abolitionist. In May of 1836, after anti-abolitionist opponents in St. Louis destroyed his printing press for the third time, Lovejoy left the city and moved across the river to Alton in the free state of Illinois. 
1837, he started the Alton Observer, also an abolitionist paper. His editorials criticized slavery and other church denominations. On November 7th, 1837, a pro-slavery mob attacked the warehouse where Lovejoy had his fourth printing press. Lovejoy and his supporters exchanged fire with the mob, which fatally shot him. Franz Ferdinand Karl Ludwig Joseph Maria was an Archduke of Austria and Royal Prince of Hungary and Bohemia. He was the heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne. He was outspoken about the need for political change. On June 28th of 14, he assass- his assassination in Sarajevo precipitated Austria-Hungary, Hungary's declaration of war against Serbia. This caused the central powers, including Germany and Austria-Hungary and Serbia's allies, to declare a war on each other starting World War I. Edith Cavell. Edith was one of the most famous women to be killed in World War I. As a British nurse, she treated friend and foe alike. And she helped Allied soldiers to escape, for which she was executed by the Germans in Belgium on October the 2nd, 1915. What do these three have in common? They were all assassinated in an effort to be a peacemaker. They were willing to stand up. They were willing to speak out in an attempt to resolve conflict. And that is what the Bible teaches. The Bible kind of peace is the peace that exists after the struggle is resolved. There's going to be conflict, but the reward is peace will come after the conflict is resolved. And in the midst of resolving the conflict, we don't abandon truth. We don't abandon doctrine. We do not cry, peace, peace, when there is no peace. When real peace comes, it comes not because we avoid issues, but because issues are resolved. True peace is the peace that occurs when truth prevails. That is why we call the way, the truth, and the life Jesus the great peacemaker. There's never been a peacemaker like Jesus. He came into the world to offer us peace with God. And when he did, the world looked at him not as a peacemaker. They looked at Jesus as a troublemaker. But a troublemaker is somebody who is unruly and divisive and and he's, he's argumentative. But a peacemaker has a goal. And the goal is reconciliation. But at times, before you can have true peace, you are going to have conflict. You're going to have division. And Jesus pointed that out in Luke chapter number 12, beginning in verse 51. When Jesus said, as he stepped into this world and into this moment, he said, do you think I've come to bring peace to earth? No. I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, families are going to be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. The father will be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. When truth stepped into this world, into a a world full of conflict and, and lies, when Jesus confronted conflict and lies with truth, he wasn't a disruptor disruptor of peace he was a peacemaker because he was working toward towards true peace you can't have true peace without the truth jesus never avoided the issues with the pharisees 
Jesus never said about the Pharisees, well, these are good guys. I mean, I mean, they're preaching their gospel. We're preaching our gospel. Let's just all get along. It's okay. Don't say anything. Let's just, let's just, they're good guys. It's okay. Jesus never avoided that. In fact, if you would take a couple of minutes and watch with me a scene in the movie or the TV series, The Chosen, when Jesus stepped into a moment where the Pharisees were teaching their doctrine and were against a man with a withered hand being healed. Watch how Jesus stepped into this moment and confronted conflict. I like the part where the disciples are just so like, this is going to get good right now. I love that scene. We may have to endure temporary trouble like Jesus did in order to bring real peace. But that's what Jesus did. And so let's learn to step into the conflict. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Next, and in closing, and probably most importantly, what are some ways we can practice methods of peacemaking? How can we leave this building with more than just a truth? How can we practice it? How can we go tomorrow into our homes and begin to make peace with our families? How can we pick up a phone this week and call a friend who we're at odds with and we're avoiding and we, we sit on this side while they sit on that side? Or they sit in the balcony and we sit on the floor. How can we make peace with those that we love if we're on the same team? How can we be like our Father, sons of God, and be a peacemaker? Well, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in a beautiful way. He says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of how to compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. I love that. I love that. So how can we make peace with people in our lives? Well, I want to give you a peace plan this morning. I'm using the word peace as an acrostic, and I'll take each letter and give you a different part of the plan. So can I give you number one? First of all, you got to plan a peace talk. You've got to intentionally, on purpose, make an effort to plan a conversation. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 23, Scripture says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar... And go. You take the initiative. Whether you are the offended or the offender, doesn't matter. Whichever you are, you take the initiative. You go. First be reconciled. First. That's to be the top priority of your life. Reconcile to your brother and then come offer your gift. You don't wait for them to make the first move. God says he expects you to be the first one to make the move. That's called being a peacemaker. How many of you have been in an argument with your family, your spouse, your, somebody on the way to church? You pull up in the church parking lot, you've been fighting, then you get out and say, hey, God's good. Well, it would be better for you to stay in the car and make peace and work it out before you come in and hear me preach. Now watch, we're going to have nobody in church next week. (laughs) Everybody in the car fixing their problem. But this is how important it is. 
conflict is not resolved accidentally. It doesn't resolve itself. You must intentionally deal with it. You must have a plan. And so what stops us from wanting to face the conflict? Well, I think the answer is fear. Fear of conflict is as old as Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. God says to Adam, and Adam says, I was afraid. Adam says, I was naked. I hid myself. Adam was vulnerable, and he didn't want to face his sin. Reminds me of the man who buried his talent in Matthew 25. And when the man came back after a long journey and approached this man, he said, so where's your talent? And the man with one talent said, I was afraid. And so I, I hid my talent. I buried it. Similar to what we see in Genesis 3.10. So what are we afraid of? I believe we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of being exposed. We're afraid because we're naked. We're afraid so we hide ourselves. And so fear makes us defensive and fear makes us distracted and fear makes us demanding. Let's plan a peace talk. What do you say? Number two, the letter E. Esteem others' needs, not your own. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Esteem them. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let me ask you a question. When you are upset, obviously it says, don't just care about your own needs, but to the needs of others. So when you're upset, what are you thinking about? Your needs. You're thinking about yourself. My hurts, my needs, myself. God says, reverse that. Count others' needs more significant than your own. Because if you want to connect with people, you must start with their needs, their hurts, and their interest. That's what it means to esteem others. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. At times, we're so busy trying to get the person we're in conflict with to see our position that we don't take time to see theirs. We just keep vomiting ours. Keep making our point. Keep speaking over them. So plan a peace talk and start with what's your fault. Start with what's your fault. Start looking within and and where you were wrong and where you said something that you shouldn't have said, where, where you made a mistake, where you missed the boat. I love Psalm 119, 165, where it tells us how we can have great peace. It says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Why? Because they're at peace. Number three, the letter A. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Ephesians 4, 29 teaches to not use foul or abusive language. How, how often do I hear profanity coming out against other people who we say we love? It happens oftentimes on the athletic field. And we're trying to establish here at Champion a no profanity policy with a little grace in the beginning of the year because we know what you're so used to. But here it's different. 
Here we follow Scripture. Here we don't believe that the way to combat a problem and a conflict issue is to cuss somebody out. Stop using follower abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You can't focus on fixing the problem and fixing the blame at the same time. It's impossible to do that. So we must learn to attack the issue, not the person. Because we're both on the same team. We're in this thing together. So stop fixing the blame and start fixing the problem. And I think God is very specific about the kind of words that we're to use and the kind of words that are out of bounds when he says in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, get rid of all anger, get rid of all harsh words, get rid of all slander, and then get rid of all evil types of behavior. Fighting, pushing, throwing, husbands and wives fighting and breaking glass in the house. It's crazy. Get rid of that stuff. Stop. In your marriage and in your relationships, never try to intimidate anybody with threats. You are never persuasive when you are abrasive. Never. And then the letter C. Cooperate as much as possible. We learn in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, a beautiful, a beautiful lesson where, where Paul says, if possible, if it's at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with, with all. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody on your baseball team, with everybody on your basketball team, with everybody on your church staff, with everybody at Walmart, with everybody at, at, at your house. If you can do it, if it's at all possible, live peaceably with all men. What I read here is this, be a bridge builder, not a wall builder. Be a bridge builder. What can we agree on? Well, let's talk about the things we can agree on. What can we do together? You know, when I first got in the ministry, I, I, I only knew a particular denomination, if you will. Most denominations, oddly enough, have like three letters that they identify themselves with. They, they just abbreviate this long name with letters. And so this little group that I knew of, it was years ago, and hardly anybody's heard of this group anymore, but it was IFB. The I stand, st- stood for independent, and that wasn't a bad word. It was basically that we're an autonomous church. We're independent, which we are. The F stood for fundamental, which is also not a bad word when it's considered to be the fundamentals of the faith or what we believe, and we do. And then the third word was Baptist, which is denominational, which is probably the least most significant word because there's no denominations in heaven, but there's significantly benefit sometimes to having a denomination that you agree with, you agree doctrinally with. But in this IFB group, I quickly began to notice that there was a lot of fighting and arguing. Not much cooperation. And then I realized that a lot of the arguments were over things that weren't even in the Bible. They were just preferences. Maybe like a musical instrument on the platform or maybe the translation you used. And and what would happen is when you would disagree... There was no chance for reconciliation. You were kicked out. You can't be my friend anymore because you have purple carpet, and I think purple carpet is is against my convictions. I'm joking, but you only have two-ply toilet paper, and I think you should have three-ply toilet paper. By the way, I love three-ply toilet paper. Amen. 
Churches split over this stuff. Churches fight over this stuff. You, you, you're not singing enough hymns. You're singing some of that newer stuff. Look, I can't be your friend anymore. And what happened is, I found myself with less and less people that I really liked and really wanted to be friends with. Good people. But because we disagreed, we, we, we couldn't have a relationship anymore. And then I started meeting some people in another three-letter denomination, which isn't perfect either, by the way, at all. Nobody's perfect. But they were called the SBC. It was called the Southern Baptist Convention. I did see some things that I personally didn't particularly agree with, but what I noticed about this group is they were different. They were more about cooperation. In fact, they had this thing called the cooperative program, and it was it was what they really focus on. It was, it was where you give your missions money so that you can cooperate together with 45,000 churches and get the gospel out to the world. And sometimes we sit across the table and disagree over things, but at the end of it, we drink a cup of coffee, hug each other, and say, let's go win somebody to Jesus. It's okay. I found a new group, and I'm making friends over here, and I feel like I'm not on an island anymore. Listen to me. I give you that illustration not to sympathize, but to help you understand this happens in your home as well. I mean, listen, some, some of the things we fight about in our homes, I mean, we cook a hamburger, and what are you using mustard for? That's disgusting. Why don't you use ketchup? Because I don't like mustard. I like ketchup. Well, you're an idiot. Well, you're an idiot. Boom. <laughs> you say, that's silly, Pastor. We don't fight over that. Well, what do, you, what do we fight over? Are you with me? Come on now. I see this so often. I've been in the thing for 31 years, and I've talked to a lot of people, and sometimes I, I wonder, why are we arguing over that? Why are we div dividing over issues that we can disagree on? Personally, I love mustard. I stick with the mustard people. I love mustard. But I like ketchup people, even though I don't like ketchup all that much. You say, Pastor, you're being silly. Well, I don't want to be so serious about everything. I want you to understand that the hallmark of a Christian ought to be your ability to get along with other people. That should be our hallmark. But peace always has a price. Therefore, if you want peace in your home, if you want peace in your marriage, it's going to cost you your ego. It is. Three three-word phases that are hard to say I was wrong, I am sorry, please forgive me. But they'll change and bring peace to your home. And then finally, number five, E. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.18, which will be the last scripture I have on the screen. It says, and this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a big word, but what does it mean? It means this, to reestablish the relationship. That's what it means. I'm reestablishing a relationship. Let me explain. My mom and dad were divorced when I was young. I was three, my brother was one. I don't remember a lot about it. I could not tell you what happened? I wasn't like the little girl who walked into the argument, and that wasn't me. I, I, I just know they were divorced. I, I think I first realized it when it clicked that at five, 
when I went over to a friend's house, their mom and dad were together. And when I went home, my dad wasn't there. And I asked my mom, so mom, why doesn't dad live here? And I, I began to understand, okay, they're, they're not married. There was something that happened. And the older I got, I, I, I understood something happened. But I noticed something. That even though mom and dad had not reconciled in a way that they were married again, they had somehow let go of the hurt, whatever it was. I don't know what it was. I've never asked. My, my mom's 82. My dad's 82. I, I, I've, I've never seen him argue. I've often said, you guys get along like you're married. They said, well, we, we've just learned to let go of the hurt and reestablish the relationship. We couldn't agree on some things to reconcile our marriage, but we decided that we let go of the hurt and reestablish the relationship. And for all these years, I'm 58 years old. I pastor a church in Hot Springs. My only brother, he's 56. He pastors a church in Vegas. Somehow these two parents who couldn't work it out raised a couple of preachers. I'm simply saying that reconciliation is the goal. Resolution means we resolve every disagreement. You're not going to resolve every disagreement. It's not possible. My wife and I can't do it. We've tried. There's no way. It isn't going to happen. But you can disagree without being disagreeable. I call that maturity. I call that wisdom. Sometimes you will never resolve a difference, but you can still reconcile a relationship. We can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. And so in closing, as I finished. Do you, do you need a plan of peace talk this week? Is there anybody here this week that would say, Pastor, I need to pick up the phone in a relationship I have in my family, at work, in my school. It's starving. It's strangled. It's broken. And I need to have a, I need to have a peace talk. Well, can I tell you, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. It's going to be difficult. But I'm asking you this morning to be an agent of reconciliation in a world that's filled with conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be just like their father. They'll be called sons of God. We are identified as a Christian. We're not a Christian because we're peacemakers. We're a Christian because of the love and grace of God. Amen? This is not a works salvation I'm speaking about. I'm just simply saying we are never more like Jesus than when we're helping people to make peace with one another. Will you commit to becoming a bridge builder and not a wall builder? Will you look for people to bring together and will you not look for ways to tear people apart with gossip and slander and criticism? You know, I meet a lot of people who think they've made peace with God. But I think they've just called a ceasefire. They've made a truce with God. God, you stay on your side of the fence, and I'll stay on my side of the fence, and never the twain shall meet. God, you mind your business, and I'll mind my business. God, I won't bother you if you won't bother me. That's no peace with God. Have you made peace with God? That's really what those of us here today who have are doing. We're remembering why peace with God was made possible. It was made possible because of the blood that was shed and the body that was broken at Calvary.
when Jesus left heaven and came to earth and lived a sinless life and was nailed to that cross his side pierced his crown of thorns on his head and he died so that I could be reconciled back to the Father that's what we're remembering today if you've never made peace with God I encourage you because of the response time being quite different because we're observing the Lord's Supper in just a couple of minutes during our response I wanted to give you a chance to make peace with God if you've never done it and so would you be willing right now just for a moment everyone just for a moment would everyone in the building bow your heads and close your eyes and I wonder today if there might be someone here who would say Pastor Capaci I want to make peace with God and if you do I encourage you right now either in your own words in your heart as you pray just pray ask Jesus Christ to save you say something like this Jesus I know I've made mistakes and I need your forgiveness Jesus I've made the mistake of trying to live my life without you and today I want to say I'm sorry I want to give you my life fill me with your peace and your love so that I can share your peace and love with others come into my heart be my savior today Jesus you can lift your heads with me if you prayed a prayer like that or you this morning are at a place where you're ready to receive Christ I want you to know we're not going anywhere fast this afternoon we'll be around we're sticking around I'll be here in fact I'll be back at 2 o'clock or 2.15 or so to do something with the college if anybody here today is, is wanting to make peace with God or made peace with God a moment ago please let us know we'd love to come alongside you help you encourage you disciple you it'd be our honor and then for those of us that have made peace with God or just made peace with God I want us to do what we've been doing and, and respond in prayer so I'm going to put a prayer on the screen that we've written for you this morning as we have throughout these Beatitudes. And would you, in closing, pray this with me together, shall we? Let's pray together. Here it is. God, I want the peace of Christ to rule in my heart. Lord, give me the courage to plan that peace conference. I don't want to do it, but I know the longer I put it off, the longer it makes me miserable. Lord, help me to empathize with the feelings of that person, the hurts they're feeling the fears they're feeling, the problems and pressures they're under. Help me to attack the problem and not the other person. Help me to emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Father, you said in your word, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Help us to be like you, bringing people together by being instruments of your peace and by living in peace with everyone as much as possible. Fill us with your peace this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church.